You may be seated in the presence of our God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad this morning to be in God's house? I want to take a look at this morning. The last recorded words of, in scripture of, by a man named David. David, as we all know, was this man after God's own heart. A man who authored many of your favorite songs. A man who, who loved God like, like few people ever have loved God before. Now, based on this description of David, what would you think his last words would be? Would you think his last words would be some, some utterance of praise to God? Or maybe his, his last words were some celebration of God because of everything that God had done for him. But no, his last, his last words were something vastly different. So if you have your copy of God's word with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn in there with me uh, to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, particularly verses 8 and 9, record David's last words in Scripture. The last recorded words that David spoke, according to the author of 1 Kings, was this. David, speaking to his son Solomon, gave him these last instructions. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gerah, the Benjamite for, from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Here's the last recorded words of David in scripture, the man after God's own heart, the man who loved God with all of his being. The, the last recorded words of David in scripture is to his son, kill the man who talked bad about me. Kill the man who talked bad about me. That's how hurtful and painful what other people say about us can be to us. How hurtful and painful what other people say about us can be to us. Ten years after this man cursed David, David still remembered what he said about him. And, and with his dying breath, David uttered to his son, don't let him get away with it. <laughs> That's how painful words can be if we don't surrender that hurt to God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I, I want to breathe 
a word of prayer. And then uh, hopefully the Spirit will speak through me to you this morning. Let us go to God. Father, teach us great and incredible truths contained in your word so that our lives can be different, I pray. Be exalted as your word is explained. And I pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus and all who are God's people said. Amen. Amen. One of the difficult lessons that being a parent will teach you is that when it comes to raising children, there is no room for pride. I learned this by seeing my mother in action. My mother did all that she could to keep a roof over our head, to put clothes on our back, and to keep food on our table. But unfortunately for us, there were times when all that she could was still not enough. Fortunately, we lived in a community where people were struggling the same way we were struggling. And because we were a tight-knit community, when one of us is, was in trouble, there was always someone around to, to lend a helping hand. There was always someone my, my mother could go to when she needed to borrow a couple of dollars until payday, or when she needed to exchange food stamps for money, or, or when she just needed cereal and milk to help feed her children for that evening. And one woman in particular, was one of the kindest and most generous women that I had ever met. She had a relationship with my mom that dated back to when the two of them were teenagers in Haiti. And after they both immigrated to America, their relationship was rekindled through happenstance when a mutual friend reconnected them. My mother trusted this woman. And whenever there was a need, it was this woman and her family that my mother could rely on. I considered this woman for a time in my life an absolute godsend. So you could imagine how disappointed I must have felt when I learned that behind this veil of friendship and generosity was a venomous spewing serpent. When I came home from college one summer, I learned from a reliable source that this woman was constantly saying damaging and disparaging things about my mother behind her back. This woman's every act of generosity was followed by some hurtful comment about my mother's financial state or what she believed was my mother's impoverished appearance. I later confirmed what this source was telling me was true when my own brothers and sisters told me that they heard the very same thing. And from that moment, every time I heard the very mention of this woman's name, my blood boiled. That's how much I hated her. One of the last times this woman's name came up was one of the last conversations that I had with my mother while she was still lucid, uh, before she succumbed to Alzheimer's and before she ultimately died. She, she called to tell me that this 
woman had fallen on hard times. Her husband had gotten very, very ill, and one of her children had died unexpectedly, and she had no money to bury her child. Now, Chris, when I heard this, the first thing that came to mind was, look at God. <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> yes, he will. <laughs> but my mother didn't call me that day so we could both revel in this woman's misfortune. My mother called me that day so that she could implore me and all of her children to make a very generous donation to help this woman bury her child. And I refused. I told my mother what I had heard. And not only did my mother confirm that this woman was talking behind her back, she said this woman would frequently talk to her face. But the reason why my mother was never bothered by what this woman said about her was, was because she had a theological understanding of the power of people's words. Her understanding of people's words was this. What other people said about you didn't matter. <laughs> Only what God says about you matters. And this is the lesson that I want to share with all of you this morning. People's words should not have any power, any control, any sway over us because people's words do not have power. Only God's words do. First Kings chapter two marks the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. Verses 10 and 11 of first Kings chapter two is the death announcement of Israel's greatest king, a man named David. After this, David exits stage left and the story of his rise and reign as king is complete. Enter a new leading man who will take center stage for the next 11 chapters. This leading man is David's son, Solomon, and he will play the lead actor in the drama that is the story of Israel's monarchy. Now, Israel's past and Israel's future share the stage together in the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 2 as David prepares his son for his role as king. Verses 1 and 9 is the last recorded words of David in scripture. These words come in the form of a speech that David gives to his son in order to advise his sixth son on how to assure himself he has a successful reign. And just like David's life at times was filled with ups and downs, was filled with good and bad, David's speech to his son is filled with good and bad counsel. First, the good. Though Solomon was a man who was already known for his political shrewdness and human wisdom, David knows that Solomon's success will never be dependent on what he could do. 
Success in life is never dependent on what you and I can do. Success in life is always dependent on God's favor. And though God's favor cannot be secured by means of obedience, David knows that there is a connection between God's favor and obedience. God's continued favor in life requires your obedience. So David advises his son Solomon as a matter of first priority. Do what God tells you to do. And this is so important to David that three times in three different ways, David tells his son Solomon in verse three, obey God. He tells Solomon, observe, walk, and keep God's commandments because there can be no success in life if Solomon or you and I don't obey God. The old saints used to put it this way. If you take care of God's business, obey. God will take care of your business, ensure your success in life. The other piece of, of good counsel that David gives his son Solomon has to do with the family of a man who once showed him kindness. During one of David's darkest hours, when one of his sons turned against him, forcing David to quickly retreat out of Jerusalem and, and hide somewhere, David fled to another city in order to regroup. And a man named Rosalea provided for David on all and all who were loyal to him. David tried to reward this man when he regained power, but Brasilea declined any offer from the king. David remembered the kindness that this man had showed him, and he instructed Solomon to allow Brasilea's sons to always have a, a seat at the king's table. The this would be the ancient version of someone providing somebody else a lifelong pension. David's sons, Brasilea's sons rather, would always be provided for by the new king. Caring for others was one of David's strengths. And though relationships are never transaction, what you do for other people, what other people do for you, there should never be an expectation that you or that other person will return that kindness in kind. You or that other person may lack the opportunity to show kindness. And if there is the opportunity, you or that other person may lack the resources to return the favor. But if someone has ever done something good for you. If you have ever done something kind to somebody else and there is an opportunity and the resources are available, you at the very least should show that person how grateful you are for what they did for you. It is the epitome of ungratefulness 
And it is downright shameful if you have the opportunity and the resources and you don't remember what somebody else has done for you. That's the good. Now the bad. <laughs> David has just counseled his son Solomon to obey God. And David has just instructed his son Solomon to show kindness to a family who showed kindness to him. Both very good. <laughs> but right alongside David's wise and godly counsel, David instructs his son to carry out two mafia hits. <laughs> the first is of a man named Joab. Joab was commander of David's army and a man who was fiercely loyal to David. Joab was also uncontrollable and unpredictable. David points out that on two separate occasions, Joab killed his rivals as a means of exacting revenge. And, and David did nothing about it. David was aware that Joab could at times be an asset. But David was also aware that because of Joab's uncontrollable nature, that he could be a political liability. So he instructs his son Solomon to make sure that Joab dies of unnatural causes so that Joab doesn't interfere with his reign as king. The first hit that David orders is political. The second hit that David orders is personal. Verse 8 is the ending of a story that began almost a decade earlier. And it's one of the ugliest episodes in David's controversial history. David had a son named Absalom, who seized control of the throne during a well-orchestrated coup. To save his life and, and the lives of those loyal to him, David had to flee from Jerusalem. That walk out of Jerusalem was a walk of shame like no other, with the once powerful king running like a dog with his tail caught between his legs. And in his weakened state, a man named Shimei started cursing and hurling stones at David. And Shimei knew just enough about David that he could target his words to where David was the most vulnerable. Shimei called David a, a man of blood, insinuating that David only became king because he ruthlessly betrayed and murdered his enemies on his way to the throne. Even though we know that it was God who hand-selected David as Saul's successor. Then Shimei went, went really, really low when he said that God was finally repaying David for all the evil that David had done. And more so than anything else, God fe David feared that God would do to him as he had done to Saul, take away his spirit from him. David even prayed in Psalm 51, do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. And when David regained power and returned to Jerusalem, Shimei attempted to atone for his curse by greeting David 
and confessing his wrongdoing. And on that day, David, like a shrewd lawyer, promised that he would not kill Shimei. David said, I will not kill you. Notice the pronoun. I will not kill you. And Shimei, for his part, did everything to remain in David's good graces. And, and from that day forward, he never showed even a sign of disloyalty. He even supported Solomon when Solomon became king. But David held on to the words that Shimei spoke to him 10 years earlier. And the memory of what Shimei said continued to burn a hole in David's heart. David was still haunted by those hurtful words. And David was still pained by what Shimei said. So much so that the last recorded words of David in scripture is not David praising God because God brought him from the fields of a shepherd to the palace of a king. The last recorded words of David in scripture is not David celebrating God who rescued him from the lion's fangs and the bear's claws from God, for, for, uh, for God who rescued him from Saul's spears and his enemy's arrows, from, from God who saved David from his own sin. No, my, my brothers and sisters, the last recorded words of David in Scripture is David confessing to his son that he still feels the piercing sting and the agonizing blows from the words spoken by a man almost 10 years earlier. And it is his dying wish for his son to exact revenge on a man who talked about him. Can you imagine how wounded by Shimei's words David must have been? For him to do such a thing? Can you imagine the sleepless nights that David endured as he replayed in his mind over and over again every word that Shimei shouted at him? Can you imagine the trauma that David felt and the trauma that David continued to feel? that would lead the man after God's own heart to make an order of execution his last words. Can you imagine how hurt by those words David must have been? But some of us, in fact, most of us, don't have to imagine how hurt David was by those words because we've been hurt by other people's words in a, in a similar way. You have been wounded by somebody else's words. You have replayed in your own mind time and time again the lies that someone else said about you. And you continue to be traumatized by someone else's words. And you, like David, if you're honest with people, 
have thought about inflicting physical pain on somebody as a way to put a bomb on your emotional pain. At some point in, in our childhood, you and I began to believe the biggest lie ever told to us as children. Remember that lie? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. But as an adult, you came to realize that more injurious than sticks and stones are words because words can leave you with a pain that is not so easily recovered from. Martin Luther King was once asked to recall the moment in his life where he felt the strongest sense of uncontrollable anger and hurt. And given the sheer amount of physical pain that this civil rights leader had to endure, you would think it would be impossible for him to think of one moment in his life where he was the angriest and the most hurt. King has been shot at. King had his home bombed. King had been bitten by dogs and beaten by police officers. But according to King, there was one moment that stuck out in his mind as being the most hurt he had ever been. When he was a junior in high school, he won a, a speaking contest sponsored by the Negro Elks. He and his beloved teacher were returning home in triumph, riding on a bus when some white passengers got on him. The white bus driver ordered King and his teacher to give up their seats and then started to curse at them. And decades later, after the event happened, King said he could still recall every racial epithet and every hateful word that came out of that bus driver's lips that day. And King said, every time he remembered that moment, his blood still boiled and his eyes still swelled with tears. That's the power that hateful words can have over us. And unless you and I learn to deal with hateful words in a godly way, they will continue to hold power over us just like hateful words held power over Martin Luther King and just like hateful words held power over David. And, and, and listen, by way of confession, this is something I also struggle with. I'm not built like my mother. <laughs> you say something about me, I'm, I'm going to remember it. How do people who are built like me, how do people like you and I overcome the things that people have said to hurt us in the past and free ourselves from the prison of their words? I wanna make two suggestions this morning. First, don't give people's words the power that human words don't have. Don't give people's words the power that human words don't have. David, may have been motivated to order Shimei's death as a way of preventing Shimei's curse from taking effect. There was this belief in the ancient world that the pronouncement of a curse was potent, that somehow people's words had the power to impact others in a negative way. David may have thought that the only way to counteract Shimei's curse was to shed Shimei's blood. Fortunately, you and I know better or at least we should. 
We should know that there is no magic in someone else's mouth, that there is no power in anybody's words. We don't become what people say we are. We don't rise and fall based on what people think about us. We don't lose what people say we should lose, and we don't gain what people say we should gain. We are not injured by other people's hurtful words, nor is anyone around us ever impacted by what people say about them. People cannot speak life into you, and people cannot pronounce death over you. But what you do, but what we do is we respond to people's words as if people's words are more powerful and influential than they all really are. Some of us respond to people's words as if people's words are the most powerful weapon in the world. Yet in reality, there is nothing that impacts you less than people's words. There is nothing that impacts your life less than people's words. Back in the day, before black being beautiful was such a thing. Back in the day when, when being light-skinned was the thing and not a crime like it is now. Some of y'all will get that when you get home. I was in school. And someone said about me, you black as tar. That hurt me to my core. Yeah. I went home crying and I walked in the door and my mom saw that I was noticeably shaken. So she sat me down and, and said, what happened? And, and I told her the entire truth. Somebody talked about me. But apparently she didn't understand the reason why I was in such pain. She asked me. Did they hit you afterwards? I said, no. They just talked about me. Wait, wait, wait. Then they kick you. <laughs> no, no. They just talked about you. Wait, then, then they took your lunch from you. No. They just talked about me at the time. I was too young to understand what she was doing, so I didn't get the point. But I want to make sure <laughs> that you do. That what people say about you don't have the force of a punch. What people say about you don't have the power of a kick. What people say about you doesn't take anything away from your life. In fact, the only power that what people say about you has is the a power that you allow their words to have. And if people's words don't have power, then why are you crying about it? If people's words don't have power, then why are you hurt about it? I treated somebody's words as if somebody had plunged a knife in my back. And while people's words aren't powerful, God's word is powerful. God's words are creative, transformative, corrective, and life-giving. God's words can counteract whatever somebody else wishes upon you. David became so obsessed with Shimei's words that he forgot that God had promised to bless him. God had made an eternal 
covenant with David and promised that always be with David. Yet Shimei said a few words about David and David forgot what God said. Had David focused on what God promised, he might have forgotten what Shimei said. Therefore, the key to robbing human words of the power that they don't have is to dwell on God's words and his promises more so than we dwell on what people say. For every person who has ever tried to belittle you by saying you can't, dwell on God's word that says you are more than a conqueror. For every person who has tried to point out your deficiencies, dwell on God's word that says his grace is sufficient for you and that where you are weak, he is strong. And, and for every person who has ever tried to curse you, dwell on God's word that says Jesus came into the world so that you can have life and that life more abundantly. We overcome the things that people have said to hurt us and free ourselves from the prison of their words by not giving their words the power that words don't have and by giving over our hurts to God. Giving over our hurts to God. Less out of this whole sordid story was any reliance on David's part to God to help him with his area of woundedness. And this is unexpected, especially when we consider that the one enduring quality that David had was that he continually relied on God for the trouble in his life. It is this one quality that made David a man after God's own heart. Throughout his history, whenever David got in trouble, David turned to God. When Saul threatened David's life, David went to God with his fear and pen Psalm 71. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. When he was on the run from his son Absalom, David went to God with his trouble and penned Psalm 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. When the Philistines seized David in Gath, David went to God with his anxiety and penned Psalm 56. In God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And when David committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, David went to God with his sin and penned Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your compassion, blot out my transgressions. David could trust God with his trouble. David could trust God with his fears. He could trust God with his worries. And David could trust God with his sin. But when it came time for David to trust God with his emotional pain, David could not do it. But if God can be trusted with our trials, if we know to lean on God with our fears, if we can trust God with our, uh, our sin, then you and I should also be able to trust God with our emotional pain. You can tell God everything that they said about you. You can tell God how what they said about you made you feel. 
And you can even tell God what you hope he does to them as a result. Just don't try to deal with your emotional pain by yourself. Take your pain to God. I could always tell when something was wrong with my mother because she was really, really quiet. She would serve food, sit around the house, and just walk around with this saddened look on her face. And, and she was quiet all the time. I, I would sometimes ask her, Mom, what's wrong? But, but people of that generation didn't believe in talking to kids about their trouble. They, they, they believed that there was a separation between grown folks' business <laughs> and kids' business. But when her sadness became too intense, I would see my mom grab her Bible, go in her bedroom and lock the door, and she would sit in there for hours. And when she finally emerged, a new person came with her. Her face was no longer saddened. She was happy again. One day I, I asked her, how is it and what happens in that room that when you leave it, you're changed? And she tells me that in that room, I'm talking to Jesus. And can I just advise you, next steps, that when life hems you in on all sides, when trouble surrounds you, when the pain of what people have said about you hangs over you like a cloud, you can Go and have a little talk with Jesus and he will listen to all of your troubles and he will comfort you with his love. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell Jesus all of your trials. He will hear your fainted cry and he will answer by and by.